Chapter Twenty Two of Gossip in a Library. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eugene Smith. Gossip in a Library by Edmund Goss. Chapter Twenty Two. The Fancy, a selection from the poetical remains of the late Peter Corcoran of Gray's Inn, student at law, with a brief memoir of his life. London printed for Taylor and Hesse, Fleet Street, 1820. The themes of the poets run in a very narrow channel. Since the old heroic times when the Homers and the Gunlaugs sang of battle with the sleet of lances hurtling round them, a great calm has settled down upon Parnassus. Generation after generation pipes the same tune of love and nature, of the liberal arts and the illiberal philosophies. The same imagery, the same meters, meander within the same polite margins of conventional subject. Ever and anon, someone attempts to break out of the groove. In the 18th century, they made a valiant effort to sing of the art of preserving health, and of the fleece, and of the sugar cane. But the innovators lie stranded, like cumbrous whales, on the shore of the ocean of poesy. Flaubert's friend, Louis Bouillet, made an inartful attempt to tune the stubborn lyre to music of the birthday of the world, to battles of the Ichthyosaurus and the Plesiosaurus, to loves of the mammoth and the mastodon. But the public would have none of it, though ensphered in faultless verso, and the poets fled back to their flames and darts, and to the primrose at the river's brim. There is, however, something pathetic, and something that pleasantly reminds us of the elasticity of the human intellect in these failures, and the book before us is an amusing example of such eccentric efforts to enlarge the sphere of the poetic activity. This little volume is called The Fancy, and it does not appear to me certain that the virtuous American conscience knows what that means. If the young ladies from Wells or Wellesley inquire ingenuously, quote, tell us where is fancy bread, end quote, we should have to reply with a jingle, in the fists, not in the head. The poet himself, in a fit of unusual candor, says, quote, fancy's a term for every blackguardism, end quote, though this is much too severe. But rats, and they who catch them, Badgers, and they who bait them, cocks, and they who fight them, and above all, men with fists who professionally box with them, come under the category of the fancy. This, then, is the theme which the poet before us, living under the genial sway of the first gentleman of Europe, undertook to place beneath the special patronage of Apollo. The attractions, however, of the learned ring set all other pleasures in the shade, and the name Peter Corcoran, which is a pseudonym, is, I suppose, chosen merely because the initials are those of the then-famous pugilistic club. The poet is, in short, a laureate of the P.C., and his book stands in the same relation to Boxiana that Campbell's lyrics do to Nelson's dispatches. To understand the poet's position, we ought to be dressed as he was. We ought, quote, to wear a tough drab coat 
with large pearl buttons all afloat upon the waves of plush, to tie a kerchief of the king-cup dye, white spotted with a small bird's eye, around the neck, and from the nape let fall an easy fan-like cape, and, in fact, to belong to that incredible company of Corinthian Tom and Jerry Hawthorne, over whom Thackeray let fall so delightfully the elegiac tear. Anthologies are not edited in a truly Catholic spirit, or they would contain this very remarkable sonnet. On the Nonpareil Introductory quote, None but himself can be his parallel. Quote, With marble-colored shoulders and keen eyes, protected by a forehead broad and white, and hair cut close, lest it impede the sight, and clenched hands firm and of punishing size, steadily held, or motioned wary-wise, to hit or stop, and kerchief too drawn tight o'er the unyielding loins, to keep from flight the inconstant wind that all too often flies, the non-pareil stands. Fame whose bright eyes run o'er with joy to see a chicken of her own, dips her rich pen in claret, and writes down under the letter R, first on the score, quote, Randall, John, Irish parents, age not known, good with both hands, and only ten stone four. Be not too hard on this piece of barbarism, virtuous reader. Virtue is well revenged by the inevitable question, quote, Who was John Randall? End quote. In 1820, it was said, quote, Of all the great men in this age, in poetry, philosophy, or pugilism, there is no one of such transcendent talent as Randall, no one who combines the finest natural powers with the most elegant and finished acquired ones. End quote. Now, if his memory be revived for a moment, this master of science, who doubled up an opponent as if he were plucking a flower, and whose presence turned Mousley Hurst into an Olympia, is in danger of being confounded with the last couple of drunken Irishwomen who have torn out each other's hair and handfuls in some Whitechapel courtyard. The mighty have fallen, the stakes and ring are gone forever, and virtue is avenged. The days of George the Fourth are so long, long gone past that a paradoxical creature may be forgiven for a sigh over the ashes of the glory of John Randall. It is strange how much genuine poetry lingers in this odd collection of verses in praise of prize-fighting. There are lines and phrases that recall Keats himself, though truly the tone of the book is robust enough to satisfy the most impassioned of Tory editors. As it happens, it was written by Keats's dearest friend, by John Hamilton Reynolds, whom the great poet mentioned so affectionately in the latest of all his letters. Reynolds has been treated with scant consideration by the critics. His verses, I protest, are no whit less graceful or sparkling than those of his more eminent companions, Lee Hunt and Barry Cornwall. His Garden of Florence is worthy of the friend of Keats. We have seen how his Peter Bell, which was Peter Bell I, took the wind out of Shelley's satiric sails and flooded the dovecotes of the Lakeists. He was as smart as he could be, 
too clever to live in fact too light a weight for a grave age in the fancy which keats seems to refer to in a letter dated january thirteenth eighteen twenty reynolds appears to have been inspired by tom moore's tom crib but if so he vastly improves on that rather vulgar original he takes as his motto with adroit impertinence some lines of wordsworth and persuades us quote, nor need we blame the licensed joys though false to nature's quiet equipoise frank are the sports the stains are fugitive we can fancy the countenance of the cumbrian sage at seeing his words thus nimbly adapted to be an apology for prize-fighting the poems are feigned to be the remains of one peter corcoran student at law a simple and pathetic memoir which deserved to be as successful as that most felicitous of all such hoaxes the life of the supposed italian poet lorenzo stacchetti introduces us to the unfortunate young irishman who was innocently engaged to a charming lady when on a certain august afternoon he strayed by chance into the fives court witnessed a quote, sparring exhibition end quote, by two celebrated pugilists and was thenceforth a lost character from that moment nothing interested him except a favorite hit or a scientific parry and his only topic of conversation became the noble art of self-defense to his disgusted lady-love he took to writing eulogies of the chicken and the nonpareil on one occasion he appeared before her with two black eyes for he could not resist the temptation of taking part in the boxing and quote, it is known that he has parried the difficult and ravaging hand of randall himself end quote. the attachment of the young lady had long been declining and she took this opportunity of forbidding him her presence for the future he felt this abandonment bitterly but could not surrender the all-absorbing passion which was destroying him he fell into a decline and at last died quote, without a struggle just after writing a sonnet to West Country Dick. The poem so ingeniously introduced consists of a kind of sporting opera called King Tim's the First, which is the tragedy of an emigrant butcher, an epic fragment in Ottava Rima called The Fields of Tothill, in which the author rambles on in the Byronic manner and ceases, fatigued with his task, before he has begun to get his story under way, and miscellaneous pieces. Some of these latter are simply lyrical exercises, and must have been written in Peter Corcoran's earlier days. The most characteristic, and the best, deal, however, with the science of fisticuffs. Here are the lines sent by the poet to his mistress on the painful occasion which we have described above, quote, after a casual turn-up, end quote. Quote, forgive me and never oh never again i'll cultivate light blue or brown inebriety begin footnote quote, heavy brown with a dash of blue in it end quote, was the fancy phrase for stout mixed with gin end footnote i'll give up all chance of a fracture or sprain and part worst of all with pierce egan's society begin footnote pierce egan the author of boxiana and life in london 
and footnote forgive me and mufflers i'll carefully pull o'er my knuckles hereafter to make them well bred to mollify digs in the kidneys with wool and temper with leather a punch of the head and kate if you'll fib from your forehead that frown and spar with a lighter and prettier tone i'll look if the swelling should ever go down in these eyes look again upon you love alone End quote. it must be confessed that a less quote, fancy End quote, vocabulary would here have shown a juster sense of peter's position sometimes there is no burlesque intention apparent but in their curious way the verses seem to express a genuine enthusiasm it is neither to be expected nor to be feared that any one nowadays will seriously attempt to advocate the most barbarous of pastimes and therefore without conscientious scruples we may venture to admit that these are very fine and very thrilling verses in their own unexampled class Quote, oh it is life to see a proud and dauntless man step full of hopes up to the pc stakes and ropes throw in his hat and with a spring get gallantly within the ring eye the wide crowd and walk a while taking all cheerings with a smile to see him strip his well-trained form white glowing muscular and warm all beautiful in conscious power relaxed and quiet till the hour his glossy and transparent frame in radiant plight to strive for fame to look upon the clean-shaped limb and silk and flannel clothed trim while round the waist the kerchief tied makes the flesh grow in richer pride tis more than life to watch him hold his hand forth tremulous yet bold over his seconds and to clasp his rivals in a quiet grasp to watch the noble attitude he takes the crowd in breathless mood and then to see with adamant start the muscles set and the great heart hurl a courageous splendid light into the eye and then the fight End quote. this is like a lithograph out of one of pierce egan's books only much more spirited and picturesque and displaying a far higher and more hellenic sense of the beauty of athletics reynolds little volume however enjoyed no success the genuine amateurs of the prize ring did not appreciate being celebrated in good verses and the fancy has come to be one of the rarest of literary curiosities End of chapter twenty two